You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop! Welcome to Triviality, the show where a moment of glory makes up for a lifetime of disappointment. Say the line, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. The show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. How are you guys doing today? Uh, It's been an interesting morning. Jeff and I uh, both had a, I don't know, a comical uh, sitcom opening morning. I forgot to put the coffee filter in the machine and uh, hot water galore. Did the laugh track sound? The laugh track sounded and and then... uh, a very slow zoom in on my face as I just yeah. contemplated just ending it all. Yeah, and I dropped the, my wedding ring down the sink and I had to take it out. And it's just, it was a whole morning. Do you plumb? No. <laughs> I, did, I did this morning, yes. Okay. It was a little plumbing. I'm How not are married. you, Jeff? You just came back from Iceland, right? I did. Um, for some reason, I'm like super tired. Um, you're talking about comical mornings. After like two weeks of basically hating technology and resisting it, the only reason I was here on time is because my Google Calendar told me I had to be here. <laughs> I also came back from Iceland, just for the record. We went together. It was a great trip. But the reason I'm excited today is because we have some guests on the show uh, Skyping in to us. First of all, a player who's going to be uh, joining one of our teams today, Intercontinental Champion Jonathan Robbins from Richmond, Virginia. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are y'all doing? Great. How's your uh, How's your morning got started off? That's not too bad. My wife is pregnant, so she dispatched me to Walgreens to get her some uh, pretzels. And when I got back, I tried to open my front door with my car key fob. So been there. That's about how I'm playing today. Is she also requesting interesting food combinations? If I know anything from CBS sitcoms, they do that. CBS sitcoms have lied to you. Uh-huh. At least in this case, she has very. Uh, much the same food choices she wanted before. So mm. lots of seafood, lots of salty food. No pickles with cheese whiz. No pickles with cheese whiz, thank, thank yet. God. <laughs> and uh, what do you do while you're not nurturing your pregnant wife? Uh, I'm a civil engineer for the state of Virginia. Fantastic. Ooh. Ooh. Congrats on that, that uh, important work. We need more civil engineers. We do. It's My work specifically is not that important. But I appreciate the <laughs> assumption. I'll send my resume over. I know that feel. <laughs> And the other reason I'm excited today is we have a special guest host on the show, Max Miners, joining us again from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, we always love having you on the show, and um, you mentioned you wanted to host, so we wanted to make sure we could get you on as soon as possible. Is that uh, rice cake good, Neil? 
Oh, the rice cake and peanut butter is very good. <laughs> That's a good podcast uh, snack. A little ASMR oh, here. That sounds yummy. No, stop. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, first of all, because you've been one of our uh, longest listeners, too, So and supporters. We appreciate that. Oh, well, you guys are the best. It's, uh, I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you been up to at Louisville? Um, I have uh, been making a lot of television as I did. that's what I do for a living and you know the news never sleeps never stops and uh, just a, a lot of uh, video gaming in my free time mm. really pumped about um, uh, Smash Ultimate coming before the end of the year and Fallout 76 um, I just picked up that Luigi's Mansion remake for 3DS and it is really really good stuff so um, lots of good gaming this year. Well today's teams uh, looks like it's going to be uh, Jonathan and Neil teaming up is that right? Yeah, so uh, I was talking to Jonathan beforehand, and uh, he was telling me uh, just about his past, and um, you know when he, he would travel across the United States in a in a you know Volkswagen van, and I was talking to him about uh, cooking, you know, on the farm, and uh, we decided to start an indie folk duo. Um, this sounds like bull. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone know, who knows me knows about my love of camping. Um, and I'll tell a story at uh, halftime about right, how much I love let's it. Let's get this over with. What's the name of your indie folk duo? Uh, I'm going to throw it to Jonathan because uh, we formed in Boone, North Carolina, and uh, we're a mix of uh, Icelandic, Norwegian, and uh, South United States folk music. Uh, what's our name, Jonathan? We are various and sundry. I, in particular, specialize in the washboard. And true story, <laughs> it was not a Volkswagen van, but I did spend three months driving around the country in a Dodge Caravan. There you go. Mm. There you go. I, truth is stranger than fiction. It is. Yes. Yeah. All right. Various and sundry. With the ampersand. From, with the ampersand from Boone, are North there, Carolina. Are there open tryouts for saw players? Uh, no, only if you play spoons. We'll only uh, accept spoon uh, players. Uh, and on the other side here, we have Jeff and Matt teaming up for, uh, you're, gonna, you're just going to be the puffins. How about that? Yeah. Since we just went to Iceland and we did not see any puffins, we got to bring them here. So you're the puffins. You don't want Matt to share his great story about Leaf and Cornwall? I don't. <laughs> All right, now without further ado, let's toss it to the rules guy. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager zero to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. Jeff, your opinion on that reading today? B+. Plus. Mm. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Sorry, rules guy. Good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not great. He did it from Iceland when you, you guys were there, and then he mailed it, but it figured it would sound the same. But All right. Well, Max, I'm going to toss same. it over to you to take over the game. All right, guys. Round one, question one. Here we go. The two title characters of what 1989 film have the last names Burns and Albright? I don't have an actual reason why. That's fair. Um, Do you have any other ideas? Here's here's one that came to mind. I think I'm in the wrong year, but... You know what? Let's go with yours. Okay. We're locked in. We're locked in. The first thing I think when I hear Burns is Ken Burns, and I don't know that General Albright would be a uh, lead character in Civil War documentary. You know, it's so funny about Ken Burns. I'm sure Max knows this too and, and appreciates it, but I love on all the future uh, modern editing programs, they have the Burns effect, which is just the slow zoom in and sliding, pan and scan. Sliding on some <laughs> yeah. pictures. Yes. Yeah. What's coming to mind, 1989, uh, I did an episode of a podcast about movies from 1989. I think it might be either Sally Burns and Harry, or Harry Burns and Sally Albright, maybe, from When Harry Met Sally. I don't know which one is Burns and Albright, but I, I distinctly remember when they meet um, by the college. Sounds strong. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I originally wrote down Tango and Cash. 
I don't, because I think that's around that era. But um, we ended up settling with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, Bill and Ted were Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Uh, the correct answer is When Harry Met Sally. And I'll be having what Neil's having. <laughs> Rice cake with peanut butter? <laughs> and some Collectivo coffee sponsored uh, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin today. Not sponsored. Not, Not sponsored. Neil's given but all that would be our... nice. Yes, but if you're interested in listening. Yeah, anyone from Collectivo, sponsor us, please. All right, question two. What American novelist won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973 for The Optimist's Daughter? She was also notably awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1980, and her home in Jackson, Mississippi, is designated a National Historic Landmark. I'm really terrible with literature. Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, I feel like I've heard of The Optimist's Daughter. Um, the only clues that Max put in there that are making me lean a certain way or Jackson, Mississippi. And I can't remember if Harper Lee's from Jackson, Mississippi. I think she is from Mississippi, um, specifically. I can't think of anyone else in that time period. Uh, Literature-wise, it's not my strong suit, but uh, I don't know how you're feeling. What, what would you like to put down? I mean, Harper Lee, because, I, again, I can't think of anything, and I can't even think of anything funny. I keep going to Georgia O'Keeffe in my mind because I was just at her museum, but she's obviously not a writer and also not from Mississippi. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's that's good with me. I mean, I'll, we can lock in with Harper Lee. Yeah, my best thought on that was, and I think it's totally the wrong time frame, and I don't think it's even what she wrote, but my my insight was like Maya Angelou. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I wrote Miss Jackson from Jackson, so I don't know. Miss <laughs> Jackson from Jackson, I like that. Uh, the correct answer you were looking for here was Eudora Welty. Oh. Uh, I've heard that name before. I just I've, didn't put two and two together. I've only heard that name from a critic reference. On the television. Oh, really? Yeah. John Lovitz? <laughs> you know stuff about the critic? Yes. All right. All right, question three. On July 6th, 1963, the New York Times published Eudora Welty's short story, Where is the Voice Coming From?, which is written from the perspective of the assassin who had just killed what civil rights leader less than one month earlier? Was that, that wasn't MLK, was it? Well, that's what I'm trying to think, because when was, was Kennedy 62 or 63? I, I feel like it was 60. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, because that was the um, the miniseries that J.J. Abrams did. It was 11, 22, 63. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I mean, Harvey Milk would have been 70s, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Mississippi, I think King was after Kennedy. My gut, in so much as I have any thunder whatsoever, is, is Medgar Evers. Okay, I'm, I'll trust you on that one. We we originally thought about MLK, but I'm pretty sure that was April of '68 um, in Memphis. Um, so we guessed Malcolm X. The correct answer is Medgar Evers. Ooh. Wow, Jonathan, nice job! Man. Wow. All right, question four. In Swedish and Danish, it's called the War of the Ants. In Hungarian, it's called Ant Football. Despite this, it has nothing whatsoever to do with animals. What is this electromagnetic phenomenon called in English? Just want to lock in with that. Yeah, all right. That. <laughs> we are locked in. So this is just going to be me, you know, making a comment that makes myself look like an idiot normally, which is par for the course. But uh, when I heard "War of the Ants" and "Ant Football" and science and not having anything to do with animals, I thought of an etch-a-sketch. See, I can't even say it. Etch-a-sketch. Um, but I don't know what scientific phenomena that uses because uh, it makes it look like ants um, having a war. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember either. The only thing I could, because I I went to the same thing. Sort of metal filings um, are frequently used to demonstrate like an electromagnetic magnetic field around a set of magnets. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what that's called. 
my first guess because of the ants football and the war of the ants i thought painful things i went to static electricity now if i, I like that answer if, if you're good to go with it that yeah, works uh, I, I i guessed it so yeah i'm fine with it cool well you're, you're earning that ampersand money so thank you thank you yeah so my thought around this was the ants were representative of electrons possibly um, and it's two sides fighting over the electrons, which is generally static electricity. So we locked in with static electricity. So this may be a tough judgment call, and uh, we may have to throw this to the group. So if you imagine what it would look like if there were a bunch of little ants, and they were all just piled up and running around in a little pile together, and half of the ants were black and half of the ants were white, the answer is television static, or more commonly, noise Oh, as in noise uh, and a signal. This, this is not right. This is no. nobody. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's a great question, too. Yeah. I think you guys were talking about a different kind of static electricity. Yes. So, yeah, this yeah. this is specifically like if you had an analog television that was experiencing noise. Mm-hmm. They're here. Isn't that a great expression? The war of the ants. I love that. That's really good. Yeah. And HBO uh, yeah. embraces it. Sounds like <laughs> a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> All right. Question five. Sticking with television. Name the TV series that ran on Fox from 1991 to 1994 and starred Charles S. Dutton in the title role, A Baltimore Garbage Collector. Do you want to write some things down? Charles S. Dutton? Yeah. My mind goes to Charles in Charge. Okay. I don't know if it's a joke, but I, I don't know the show at all. The, I don't think that was a Fox show. But we can lock in with that. Deal. That's fine. Uh, so what do you think, Jonathan? I think it's Rock, R-O-C. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I, I can see the the promo. I can see the poster. Yeah. You want to lock in with Rock, R-O-C? Works for me. Okay. The correct answer is Rock. Nice job, man. Don't worry, Matt. We'll get points eventually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me interject here really quick. The uh, Puffins coming in strong uh, with zero points. Mm-hmm. And uh, the folk band from Boone, North Carolina, Various and Sundry, 30 points. All right, question six. What character who first appeared in a 1985 computer game was named after a Brazilian singer and actress, has been portrayed in games and on television by Rita Moreno, and will be portrayed next year in a Netflix series by Gina Rodriguez? I can lock in on this one, Jonathan. Go for it. They're not doing like a, uh, so it's not like a fighting game or something like that. In 85? They're, yeah. That, is that uh, too early? There's not a lot of fighting yeah. games. <laughs> I think that there's a Legend of Zelda Netflix show coming out next year. So I think we should just lock in with Zelda. Okay. We are locked in. So thank you to um, my counterpart in Various and Sundry. Jonathan let me uh, lock in early. So Colleen loves the show Jane the Virgin, which Gina Rodriguez stars in, and I watch it with her. Um, I'm a little surprised uh, at Matt for being a, a 90s wunderkind here, uh, missing this question. But uh, in order to find out where the answer is, we have to find out where in the world she is, and mm. that would be Carmen Sandiego. The correct answer is Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. I should know that. Love that Rockapella theme song. Mm. I did like the fighting game idea, if only because I desperately now want to see Rita Moreno as Chun Li. <laughs> yes. I'd, I'd like a. She could play any part. A fighting game with only educational fictional characters. Yeah. That'd be cool. Ghost Rider. I think you'd have to put you'd have to put like Smokey the Bear in there, and uh, just because he's like fire education. Lavar yes. Burton. Yeah. What watching Confucius whip some ass on Nikola Tesla? <laughs> That's an amazing idea, Ken. I love it. Where do I throw my money? Yeah. All right, question seven. Name the country 
an archipelago in the Indian Ocean where the founder of the private security company Blackwater had a meeting with an official from the Kremlin in January of 2017, allegedly for the purpose of establishing back-channel relations between Russia and the United States. Indian Ocean area. Yeah. Um, you know countries. Pick yeah, one. I think we're locked in. I'm in Richmond, Virginia now, but I grew up in Chesapeake, and the Blackwater like training campus used to be right down the street from where I grew up. Oh, wow. I know a bunch of other stuff about it. Like, dude's name is Eric Prince. They changed their company name to XE. Mm-hmm. But on this one, I'm just going to have to take a guess uh, with Sri Lanka. Um, when I think about Indian Ocean countries in an archipelago, the Maldives is probably correct. But we locked in Indonesia. Your correct answer is a country that is pretty close to the coast of mainland Africa. It is Seychelles. Ooh, the Seychelles. Mm. Ooh. Uh, a very, very cool flag, by the way, the flag of the Seychelles. Shout out to uh, Lee DeGeorge and uh, and his daughter for um, noting everybody, or learning everybody to the really cool Seychelles flag. Well, yeah, thank you, Lee. All right, question eight. In 1998, a series of 12 radio advertisements began running under a new ad campaign entitled Real American Heroes. After 9-11, the ads were pulled, but were relaunched the following year in a new campaign with what title? For five bonus points, name the 1980s pop rock group that was fronted by Dave Bickler, who did the singing in these advertisements. Wow. <laughs> I think Neil came up with like three different answers before he's like got yeah. to the question. Man, I could be way off, but I just remember, you know, when I graduated grammar school, like going right into high school, kind of around this time. Uh, everyone was obsessed. I think it was like for the Bud Light ads. I, this could be way off, where, where the guy yes. was like. Yes. Right. It was like real American heroes. Right. And it was. It was. And then afterwards, it was true something of something. Yeah. True men of. True men of. True men of honor. Yeah, that that could be right. I just remember he was in the in the recording booth, and it was like they were like comedic, and then. Yeah. This could be way off though. No, you're no, you're right. You're right. Did it? What did it sounded like the dude from Foreigner? But I don't know if that. And that was going to be my guess, too, as soon as you, you said that, yeah, was Foreigner. Yeah, because I, I, I always used to think he was making fun of the Foreigner guy, but maybe it was actually the Foreigner guy. Was it true men? Was it real men? Oh, yeah. Wait, that, that, that rings a bell. Real men. If it turns out to be the guy from Foreigner, I'm going to be really upset because I like Foreigner, but I don't know anybody in that band. Real men of genius? Oh, no, that was... Is that it? Yes. Oh, man, that was such a great poll. <laughs> yeah, real men of genius. Let me just reach out. <laughs> That's oh god, a real man of genius. Oh man, that poll, my ass cheeks just tightened up. <laughs> okay, I, do you want to lock in with real men of genius and foreigner? Yes, and and because of that poll, if if they are sore, I will rub them for you. Thank yeah. you. I think today Neil is a real man of genius. <laughs> real man of genius. The podcaster who couldn't get the answer pulls it from his butt. <laughs> it's a real man of genius. That's what we locked in. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we need a new one now. <laughs> Mr. Podcast Answer Ass Puller Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the answer is Real Men of Genius. Oh, those are such good ads. Dave Bickler was actually the lead singer of Survivor. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh. Ten points per team on that one. All right, question nine. Prior to the Creative Arts Emmy Awards in September of 2018, there were 12 EGOTs which are people who have won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. However, after that ceremony, there are now 15. 
Name any one of the three men who won an Emmy for NBC's production of Jesus Christ Superstar and completed their EGOT. Uh, I can lock this in, Jonathan, if you want. Please, by all means. Uh, I don't know if he worked on that, but he definitely just got it. So, Yeah, you guys can talk. I'm locked in. I think we can talk about John Legend. Is that what you'd want to go with? I don't know if he got it for Jesus Christ Superstar, though. That's um, the only hesitation. Because uh, he did just get his, his EGOT. What's the guy from Hamilton? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Is it him? I don't think he worked on that either. Okay. I also don't know if he has an EGOT yet. Well, I don't care. We're locking in with John Legend. Okay. Boom. Good thing you stayed with it. Yeah, John Legend. Okay. The three gentlemen were Andrew Lloyd Webber, Tim Rice, and John Legend. Yeah, the sad part is I had the other two. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The final question of round number one. This is going to be a lost lyrics question. Identify the 1986 number three U.S. Hot 100 hit that contains these lyrics. When we're together, it's like hot coals in a fire. My body's burning, so come on, heat my desire. Now, Max, uh, an 80s music question from you. I, I'm, I'm shocked. Shocked that it took this long? I'm shocked and appalled that it took this long. My my weekly team trivia host guy is really hardcore about not giving any rhythmic hints away. So when he does these questions, he goes into this really weird. He sits up. He'll when we're together. He sits up there and screams them like that. It's Mowage. awful. You should do it in the uh, transatlantic accent. When we're together, it's like hot coals in a fire. <laughs> See? See? Yeah. Just add C to everything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Do you think there's a thing like oh, TTD, yeah. like trivia transmitted disease, like where you get a question wrong and it's just like your partner then is like, oh, he gets one wrong. He's blighted now. Yeah, it's just like a, a funk. I don't know if it's a communicable disease, but there's definitely a funk you can have. Yeah. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure I've caught something from you. That's prob- yeah, probably true. You got the trivia yips. Yeah, yeah, trivia yips. Yeah, there you go. That, that's no joke. But let's, yeah. let's lock in with That's them. fair. We're locked in. I have no thunder on this whatsoever. When we're... Uh, Man, heat my desire is so like it's right there. Not, it's not dirty, but like for a, I'm just trying to think of singers that would actually say like heat my desire because it's very like um, passionate, you know. We're gonna lock in with Rick Astley. Um, we locked in with one of Jeff's favorite tunes, "Eternal Flame" by the Bengals. Oh, so Rick Astley isn't the name of a song. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> oh <So>. no. <laughs> no. Are, are we going to guess a song title? Well, no. See, the, the band varies in sundry. They they do a lot of covers, but just of the artist, not oh. the song. Oh, so are we guessing a song called Rick Astley by the band Various and Sundry? Yeah. Yes. That is correct. Oh, okay. That, well, that is makes correct. a lot more sense. <laughs> Ten points. Okay. All right. Well, here's your answer. Stacey Q's Two of Hearts. I had uh, that song on a great 80s mix. Yeah. All right. So after the first round, it looks like the Puffins are uh, flying low right now with 20 points. And uh, Various and Sundry from Boone, North Carolina, the famous folk band, coming in with 60 points. Mm. Just a quick question, Ken. When you were in Iceland, did you see any Puffins flying? We we did not uh, see any Puffins whatsoever. Do they fly? Except on science. They do fly, yeah. High? I think you should have picked a bird that flies higher. <laughs> Agreed. Haven't you seen on the Travel Channel? No. Puffins? Absolutely not. 
Okay, so the swing round. Many people think that Stacey Q is a one-hit wonder for Two of Hearts, uh, when in fact she did chart uh, top 40 once more the following year with the song We Connect. But our swing point is going to be all one-hit wonders today. And this one is is going to be kind of my love letter to fellow um, music trivia geeks who every time they hear a one-hit wonders trivia round, they hear the same collection of 25 questions. So we're going to do... Offbeat one-hit wonders, difficult one-hit wonders, ones that you never hear trivia questions about. So how this is going to work, um, I'm going to give you its peak chart position, a year, and an artist, and I want the song title. <laughs> By the way, when I was researching this, uh, remember the movie That Thing You Do about the one-hit wonders? I was going to be cheeky and include that song, but the actual single release of it peaked at number 41. How uh, funny is that? <laughs> wow. What a shame when I won't get wrong. <laughs> so again... All these artists uh, had one song that peaked within the top 40 on uh, the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. And I right. believe you said uh, 10 questions for five points apiece. Yes, 10 questions, five points apiece. Thank you, Ken. Question one, peaking at number three in 1998 by Jennifer Page. Question two, peaking at number 12 in 1994 by Jan Arden. Number three. Peaking at number eight in 2011 by Capital Cities. Number four, peaking at number four in 1970 by Blues Image. Number five, peaking at number 38 in 2009 by Esther Dean. Number six, peaking at number 12 in 1986 by Boys Don't Cry. Number seven, peaking at number 14 in 1994 by Martin Page. Number eight, peaking at number 27 in 1990 by Brother Beyond. Number nine, peaking at number 12 in 1992 by Saigon Kick. And finally, number 10 from uh, 1985, peaking at number 11, Scritty Politti. That's not real. <laughs> My confidence was misplaced. Yeah. I have heard of one of these artists. I know the same one you know, which is not good for us. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> We're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do we even leave to discuss? Yeah, let's do that. Fine. All right. We'll I'll, be back. I'll write song titles for these. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. All right, so it looks like these guys have discussed as much as they can, and they had a little hard time with this one. Just, so, just uh, a little hard time. A little Paramore hard times mm. on this one. So if you don't mind, I'm, I'm just going to take over here. What, uh, what answers did you guys get, uh, Various and Sundry? Uh, so Various and Sundry, we had, we had a hard time. We, we recognized a lot of these songs, or at least they kind of like jogged something in our memory, but we couldn't come up with a lot of answers. So I came up with one that I'm pretty sure is incorrect, and Jonathan came up with one that uh, sounded good. So uh, our first official lock-in out of two is uh, number one uh, 1998 jennifer page we just said i touch myself and oh, then the divinals uh which is the divinals <laughs> and then uh, n- number four i'll throw it to jonathan what he thought it was yeah i thought it was it was something like ride captain ride I, that i think that's the course i don't know if it's the title but that's what we're going with so those are our two official answers so number one i touch myself number four ride captain ride mm-hmm yeah, um, we we only had uh, Capital Cities. And I'm pretty sure we're wrong on this one. No, nah, I don't know. Yeah, I figured it out in the meantime. Damn it. So we put Time to Begin. It's uh, safe and sound. Yep, that's more right. <laughs> uh, and then we put Ghostbusters theme by Ray Parker Jr. for all the rest. So. <laughs> all right, Max, you want to go through those for us? Sure. Noted uh, Various and Sundry, uh, uh, their other single, uh, Ghostbusters theme by Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> it's my other favorite Various and Sundry song. Okay, well, goodness, I I knew this was going to be difficult, so I'm sorry, guys. I I didn't okay. expect it to be quite so brutal, but I did say difficult one-hit wonders, so I guess I delivered, right? I'm sure, there's a couple listeners out there who are just like overjoyed with this. There also <laughs> might be a few where you mention the song, and I'm like, oh, you know. So well, that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. So we'll see how this goes. All right, so number one, a number three hit in 1998 for Jennifer Page. That was the song Crush. Mm-hmm. Oh. See, I thought that was Willa Ford, and that's where I screwed up. Okay, uh, number two, uh, a number twelve hit in 1994 for Jan Arden. That was the song Insensitive. Which you probably know by the hook that goes, Oh, I really should have known by the time you drove me home. That song that got played ad nauseum on Top 40 Radio at the time. Okay, a number three hit in 2011, or excuse me, a number eight hit in 2011 for Capital Cities that was safe and sound. Jeff did pull it in uh, at the buzzer, yes. Okay, Um, a number uh, four hit in 1974 Blues Image that was Ride Captain Ride. Nice, Jonathan. Upon your mystery ship. Yes, well done. All right, number five, a number 38 hit in 2009 for Esther Dean. This was Drop It Low. Oh. Mm-hmm. No? Drop It, Drop It Low, girl. Yep. Oh, Laffy Taffy, yes. got it. <laughs> Not Laffy Taffy. 
All right. How do you know D4L, but you don't know Esther? Like, my goodness. <laughs> I'm telling you, that, that, was, that was my ringtone for like a year. I love this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number six, a number 12 hit in 1986 for Boys Don't Cry. This is the ridiculously stupid song, I Want to Be a Cowboy. Yeah. Isn't that Kid Rock? I was going to say. And you can be my cowgirl. Future Senator Kid Rock. Okay, number 70, 19, uh, 1994, number 14 hit for Martin Page. This is another one from around the time of the Jan Arden song that got played ad nauseum on the radio. Uh, this was In the House of Stone and Light. A number 27 hit in 1990 for the boy group, the boy band Brother Beyond. This was a tricky one. Brother Beyond were really big for a few years in the UK, and then I think they changed their name and had a few more hits all in the UK. But their only single that broke through in the US was The Girl I Used to Know. Mm, that sounds familiar. Uh, number nine, a number 12 hit in 1992 for Saigon Kick. This was during the craze of... Guys who looked like hair metal dudes um, making really softy acoustic radio ballads. This oh. was Love is on the Way. Oh. Oh, it reminds me of... Um, Nelson. Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, Winger. God. Now I'm forgetting the, the name of the song. Um, Extreme. Reminds me of oh. Extreme. Yes. Yes. I was thinking e- the same thing. Exactly in that same vein of More Than Words by Extreme. Yes. Extreme, by the way, that's the same band that did the uh, that does the crazy uh, song that's in the mall scene from Bill and Ted to throw it back to Bill and Ted. You know, the, the oh, song when everyone's those, getting arrested. Yes. Those crazy 64. That's the same band that did more than mm-hmm. words. That's cool. It's great guitar player in that band. Yes. Fantastic. All right. And finally, a um, number 11 hit from 1985 by Scritti Politti. Uh, again, this was another group who had several uh, top 40, top 10 hits in the UK, but their only breakthrough in the US was the song Perfect Way. Hmm. So none of these were the Ghostbusters theme? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, be be gracious here and give the Puffins five points for their Capital Cities answer. All right. And uh, Various and Sundry also picked up five, bringing it to 25 to 65. And the folk band, Various and Sundry, from Boone, North Carolina, in the lead. Were those the first pity points ever given on the show? No, you got it. Okay. Nobody else said it. I think every point given on the show to us is a pity point. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's fair. I think he said it before they officially, quote unquote, locked in. Yeah. Yep. That's my thinking. Yeah, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. (laughs) Go ahead and launch into uh, round two then. Okay. Question one in round two. This is going to be a who am I question. I'm going to speak in the first person. Then you're going to tell me who I am. Here we go. I graduated from Harvard Law School in 1990, having earned a near perfect score on my LSAT. In 1993, during my brief legal career, I helped a stand-up comedian friend of mine defend an inciting a riot charge after an incident during one of his shows. My friend and I both went on to successful careers in stand-up comedy. We've both appeared numerous times on Comedy Central's Roast series. My final appearance was on David Hasselhoff's in August of 2010, one month before I died. Name either me or my friend. Oh, wow. Great question. Yeah, I think we. if you have no ideas, then we can lock in with my guess. Yeah, no, I'll go with your guess. Okay. I I, I thought he did die. Jeff, I, I wrote down Jeffrey Ross. He could he could be dead. Uh, I know that he's he's like, he's the roast master. And then, but maybe it's not. Maybe he's the friend? I, we get points either way, right? So I don't know. Yes, yes. Okay, we can lock in with Jeffrey Ross. And uh, we're going to lock in with Greg Giraldo. And that's the right answer. 
Well, I'm very pleased to say that both teams will be getting points because you <laughs> named Greg Giraldo and his friend Jeffrey Ross. That is correct. Nice job, Jonathan. Nice. Yeah, I think Jeffrey Ross kind of took over for him once he died. And he's he's pretty much led all the Ross on I didn't realize Greg Giraldo uh, went to law school and stuff. That's cool. All right, question two. If I say Jeremy's band is the greatest band in the world because it says so right in the lyrics of their song, We're the Greatest Band in the World, what informal logical fallacy have I just committed? Jeff? And I will take the Latin name or the, the common English name. Either is fine. And if Jeff comes up with it in English, he'll, he'll spend 10 minutes trying to come up with the Latin. <laughs> sure. Do you have any ideas, Jonathan? Yeah, so it it's either circular reasoning and or a tautology. I'm not sure if tautology is is uh, Latin or not, but I think it's circular reasoning. Jeff, what were you thinking? Yeah, um, I was thinking it was circular reasoning because it's an appeal to itself. Okay. Um, Okay, I think we're going to give points across the board here because the, the answer I was looking for is a form of circular reasoning, so I think we can give points. But what I was looking for is petitio principi, or as it's more commonly called in English, begging the question, mm. which is when the thing you're trying to prove is stated in the prompt itself. Mm. Hmm. I didn't know that, but that, that's very interesting. It's a very uh, misused phrase. Right. A lot of people say begging the question when they mean raising the question, but that's what begging the question is. Okay, question three. Name any two of the four people in Saturday Night Live's More Cowbell skit who are not Will Ferrell or Christopher Walken. Okay, just circle the top two and we're locked in. Wow. Um, Jonathan, what do you have? I have a couple names. I just want to double check with you. Yeah, um, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, I had him. I think I have Chris Parnell. I don't know if he's in that one. Chris Parnell, Horatio Sands Yeah, were the three that I had. So you had Sands, Fallon, and Parnell? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I had that too. Um, you just want to go with uh, Jimmy Fallon and Chris Parnell. That works for me. Cool. So uh, you want Jimmy Fallon and Chris Parnell? We'll go the other two. We want Horatio Sands and Chris Kattan. And you guys nailed all four of them. Yeah, that is exactly right. Jimmy Fallon, Chris Kattan, Chris Parnell, and Horatio Sands. Okay. Question four: What model of computer that was manufactured from 1982 to 1994? Does the Guinness Book of World Records credit as the best-selling computer of all time, having sold around 30 million units in its lifespan? You just want to lock in with this one? I got nothing better, yeah. Okay, we're locked in. I hear questions like this all the time, and I usually have like one answer, and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm not. But uh, I'm curious to hear what you want to say. But I just, uh, for some reason, like IBM came into my head because I know they sold like gangbusters for a long time before Apple and uh, Microsoft kind of took over. So it probably is the IBM something. What jumped right to the front of my brain was the Commodore 64. Okay. Did that come out before pre-1982, or was that still in the 80s? That I can't remember. I don't know if that was in the 70s or not. Um, and I, I feel like from, what, 82 to 94, I mean, I don't think an Apple would have been... wouldn't have been the Lisa, and I don't think it would have been, like, the Mac 2 or whatever it was. At least with Commodore 64, that's, that is a model that you said, so do you want to just go with that? If you want to, like I, I have absolutely zero thunder behind this. It's just the first thing that I thought of. No, I, yeah, and I have zero thunder too. But I feel like we we said IBM, so if IBM is correct, at least we we have some brownie points there. So, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll go with Commodore sixty four. A little unsure, but all right. Um, so I was looking for specific popular brand models, and the thing that kept coming back was the Apple II. They had a big commercial for it and everything. Mm. So we locked in with Apple II. The correct answer is the Commodore 64. Wow. Oh. 
man. Because yes. yeah, it was sold as like a gaming unit too. Yeah. That makes sense. And most importantly, it undercut the price of all those competitors by mm. a lot, which is why it was able to sell so much and for so long. Oh. All right, question five. What psychologist, television personality, and columnist first reached national fame in 1955 when she became the only woman ever to win the top prize on the $64,000 question? You want to lock in with that, then? Mm-hmm. That's fine. We are locked in. Sounds good. So immediately I came up with Dr. Ruth, but I mean, she was a soldier. I know we had said that in a long, long episode ago that I hosted. Can you think of any TV personality psychologists? Because when I hear columnists, I think, especially from the 50s, like Ann Landers or Dear Abby. That's where I was, too. I was, I was, trying, I was having trouble with that because I wrote down Dear Abby, but I was like, well, that would have been print. I don't think she was on TV. Yeah, I don't know if it's right either because I mean, she was a sniper. But I like, I like Dr. Ruth as an answer. Okay, well, let's just go with it. And my new favorite thing is whenever we lock in an answer, the first thing Neil says is, well, it can't be this person, which was our answer. So we locked in with Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth, you were right. Neil was a uh, she was in the Israeli army, I think it was. Um, she was a sniper. Yeah. Um, kind of a crazy backstory there. But this is a, also a pretty crazy backstory. The correct answer is Dr. Joyce Brothers. Oh, oh. and uh you should read up on this. Um, they, it, it really should have like, I, you remember the movie quiz show from the nineties that tells mm-hmm. the whole story. Like this part needs a, um, its own movie because basically the producers didn't want her to win and they intentionally put really, really, really difficult questions forth and she got them right anyway. Wow. Nice. So she's a very, very smart lady. It's a cool story. Read about it. Uh, picking up 30 more points. Uh, the puffins bringing their score to 55. And picking up 40 points are Various and Sundry from Boone, North Carolina, bringing their score to 105. Yeah, great teamwork here, Jonathan. I'm having fun. Thank you. Yeah, great teamwork, Jeff. We're killing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question six. You guys knew you weren't going to get away without a classic video gaming question, right? Mm -hmm. All right, what video game that was first released on February 6th, 1991 is by far the best-selling title ever released by Capcom, selling over 20 million units. For comparison, Capcom's second best-selling title, 2009's Resident Evil 5, has sold 12 million units. My first thought is Street Fighter 2. Okay. So, yeah, I was thinking Street Fighter, but and it makes me think it could be right, because I just read an article about how coked up Jean-Claude Van Damme was on that movie from the director. Nice going to kick bison's ass so hard take your block silk <laughs> underwear and get out of here um that's from double impact uh, i'm fine with street fighter 2 if you're cool with that yeah i don't know about that uh we also locked in with street fighter 2 the correct answer is street fighter 2 all right all right moving on to question seven what young adult novel by ellen raskin won the 1978 newberry medal it follows teenager Turtle Wexler and the other tenants of her high-rise apartment building as they try to explain the mysterious death of a wealthy businessman. Why did uh, solving crimes always fall on the hands of children back in the day? Mm. <laughs> That's right. Shelby Wu had homework, people. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of like those old packets that we used to get that I miss now. Like, mm. I, wish, I just wish I'd got a package delivered where it's like, here, pick books you want and they'll yeah. be delivered. But... Only there was a Scholastic Book Fair down I know. the street today. I, named Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have a, if you have no thoughts, I mean, I, I'm not going to pull it. I've, I've got nothing. All right, we're gonna we're gonna lock in uh, with Turtle Wax. <laughs> so we weren't too far off, uh, and we said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Wexler. 
Uh, all right, this was um, the really awesome uh, mystery novel, The Westing Game. I know it now when you said it. I remember the plot. I just couldn't Westing think of the name. Game. All right, it is time at last for a sports question. Yay. All right, <laughs> question eight in the second round. Who is the only NCAA men's Division One basketball coach to take three different schools to the Final Four? So I have some names I wrote down, Jonathan. I don't know how good you are with NCAA. Uh, not very. It's an indefensible cartel. Uh, so I know almost nothing about it. Funny enough, uh, it's Indefensible Cartel is the name of our second album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I wrote down Bobby Knight, which I, I know he went, you know, he's big in Indiana, but I don't think he, that he took Texas A&M or where he coached. He's also big with chairs. Uh, he's big with chairs and kicking things. He's I don't big think, in general. He's a large man. He is. I, I don't think he took them a team multiple times, three teams. Um, so I wrote down uh, John Wooden, which I don't think is correct. That was UCLA. Um, but like a bunch of times, <laughs> um, but I wrote down coach K I'm trying to remember if his name is Krasinski, 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 um, cause I, he was with, uh, I can't remember. And then there's the other one. It's not Paterno cause that's Penn state's football coach, but, uh, the dude who coached Louisville cause I feel like he coached Louisville, took him to the final four and then he coached, um, maybe Kentucky or he was like a really, the guy who went to the strip club and got in trouble. Um, my dad. Be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coach Robbins. Um, Coach Robbins. Um, I don't know if it's Paterno, though. The Paterno, Joe Paterno is... He got in trouble for some stuff, too. Yeah, yes. he did. He was not good. <laughs> He's oh. a very bad man. The name that jumps out to me is Larry Brown. Oh, Larry Brown, right, from the Pacers. Uh, he took a lot of teams, yeah. Who's the Louisville coach? Because I feel like, you know, Max is from that area, so, like, it's maybe it's that guy, but I can't think of his name with the slick back hair. He, like, coached the, the Olympic team at one point. Yeah, everything past the West Virginia border is completely foreign to me. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. So just for the record, we're going to say the Louisville guy, and I can't think of his name. I feel like it starts with a P, but we're going to lock in with uh, Jonathan's answer of Larry Brown. Yeah. I ri- Governor Larry Brown? <laughs> I originally wrote Larry Brown, but I don't think I don't think it was three. I know it was like SMU and another team. Uh, then I got stuck on Coach Calipari, who was, I believe, Kentucky, Memphis, and I think UMass before but I might be thinking of somebody else I got and then I was thinking Roy Williams and which I know is Kansas and UNC um, but I we just locked in with coach Calipari well this is interesting coach Calipari took the schools of UMass Memphis and Kentucky to final fours however the UMass and Memphis ones were vacated Taking the schools of Kentucky, Providence, and Louisville to Final Fours, the correct answer is Rick Pitino. Oh. However, I'm going to accept John Calipari because, <laughs> as any good Louisville fan will tell you, I don't give a shit what the NCAA says. <laughs> we were there. It happened. Yeah. Oh, I was so close. I said Paterno, and it was Pitino? Coach Pitino, yeah. He left He oh. left to coach the Celtics for a season and it did not go well. It's the strip club guy, right? Yeah. Oh. All right. So points to the Puffins on that one? Yes. All right. I, I really wanted to do a Louisville-centric question, so this is a Louisville question for number nine. All right. Omega National Products is a Louisville company that makes specialty wood fixtures and decorative mirrors. The most notable item in their product catalog, however, is a particular novelty item that they've made for 49 years, still sold today on their website, in diameters ranging from 12 inches to 48 inches and weighing 5 pounds to 105 pounds. Name this novelty product. 
It's obviously a beanbag chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shag carpet. Hank. I kind of <laughs> want a beanbag chair. I've been really hankering for a good beanbag chair lately. I think that really spruce up the office, to be honest. We could all just be podcasting from a beanbag chair. But oh. I would like to have a lady over to my apartment one day again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what you're saying? So maybe I'm not going to get the beanbag chair, <laughs> or just find a lady who likes a, be- a beanbag chair. That's true. Yeah, they exist out there. I imagine myself ordering a beanbag chair on Amazon, and the second mm. I click it, the queer eye guys kick my door in. <laughs> <laughs> the Fab Five, if you will. Yeah, they would love your beard. Just so you know. Yeah, they tell me to trim it. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan would. Please don't trim call that. the Fab Five on me, guys. <laughs> It'll be a good episode, though. Jonathan yeah. would trim it? Yeah, Jonathan would trim it a little bit. I love the beard, but you got to take it down a little bit. Yeah. You got a couple <laughs> of shirts in your closet he'd enjoy. What's yeah. he call people? Henny? Henny? Oh, yeah, Henny, yeah. I just want to hear him say yes to me if I did something right, yes. and I would feel so good about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yas. I yes. love that show. Let's talk about that some more, because I don't have an answer here. <laughs> and that show makes me happier than getting answers wrong. All right. You got anything? I watched like six episodes of that the other day. <laughs> I'm gonna lock in with my dumb answer. That's fine. Uh, yes. So Jonathan, I mean, they make <laughs> so lost. They make wood fixtures and mirrors, and I just I can't think of like. At first, I was like, well, maybe this is the the company that owns Louisville Slugger, but I don't think it'd be making a bat that's 105 pounds. So log from Ren and Stimpy. Uh, oh, everyone yeah. likes a log. You just want to go log? Yeah, let's go with it's log. Okay. Uh, my answer from any novelty thing from this time period that is always wrong is Pet Rock. So we said Pet Rock. Interesting answers. So what if I told you that most people who buy these hang them uh, in the center of the ceiling and they usually own bars or nightclubs? Uh, disco ball? It is a disco ball. Wow. That is correct. That makes sense with the mirrors. With the mirrors, huh. yeah. Yeah, these people who, who run this place, uh, which is just, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting about a mile from this this warehouse that makes these things right now. And the, like 20 years ago, this lady gave an interview and said that like, 90% of the disco balls in the world were made from here. I don't know where she pulled this from, <laughs> but if you talk to any person who's from, that's like the one interesting fact they'll tell you about Louisville. Oh, 90% of the world's disco balls are made here. Oh, wow. All right. Your final regular round question. What bizarre pejorative does Judd Nelson's character call Anthony Michael Hall's character in the breakfast club just before asking him, what would you be doing if you weren't out making yourself a better citizen? I have never seen this movie. Wow. For a pop culture guy, that's a uh, glaring omission. It's old. I can hear the line, um, but uh, what I do need clarification on is what a pejorative is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the part of the question I understood. He calls him a name. Uh, well, I figured, but there's nothing. It's not like two words put together or anything. Pejorative. It uh, has a more specificity than that. But He calls him like something that? dweeb or like Nazi dweeb. Um, or um, oh, God, I'm trying to remember now. I got to tap. I, I know it. And I, as soon as he, Max says it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to know it. But do you mind if we just tap? Yeah, that's fine. L7. No, L7. I'm just gonna, we'll say L7 weenie. Nerf herder. <laughs> that's what I locked in with. I don't know anything. All right, L7 weenie and nerf herder. Max? <laughs> Neil, my heart is breaking for you. I, I thought we were, I thought Mr. Trivia Answer Ass Puller Guy was about to make another appearance. <laughs> I know I'm close. And we, and we were going to have to call Dave Bickler again. <laughs> Uh, the correct answer is a Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby. Wow. I was going to I knew it was Dweeby. I couldn't think of the beginning words. But I, I learned what a pejorative is. Yeah. That's what counts. <laughs> All right. So it looks like at the end of this round, the Puffins made up a little bit of ground, and they're currently at 75. Meanwhile, uh, Various and Sundry from Boone, North Carolina, with their first album, Boone, North Carolina, is at 115. 
115. They were not down as far as I thought we'd be. Good for us. All right, guys. Well, leading right from that into your uh, five categories for the final round, today uh, our theme is going to be Breakfast Club, and your final five-round categories are a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. I'm wishing I had some of category one right now. All our wagers are locked in. All right. Question one, a brain. Scottish actor Brian Cox was the first person to play what brainiac on camera in a 1986 film based on a 1981 novel by Thomas Harris? Question two, an athlete. Who holds the record for the most NBA games played by an Australian? Question three, a basket case. Clay Allison was an eccentric Wild West cattle rancher with a reputation for unprovoked and extreme violence. In 1877, he moved to Dodge City, Kansas. What notable lawman was the deputy sheriff in Dodge City at that time and claimed in a later biography that he and his buddy Bat Masterson confronted Allison and his men in a saloon and drove them out of town? I need a cooler name based on that question. (laughs) Question four, a princess. Claire Lademacher, a German bioethics researcher, became a princess of what small European country when she married Prince Felix in 2013? Question five, a criminal. In the 2011 Futurama episode, Ghost in the Machines, Bender runs into his ex-girlfriend, Lynn, who promptly murders him and sends him into robot ghost limbo. What sort of device is Lynn? Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah, the show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All the answers are locked in for the final round, uh, so... Um, if you guys are good, I guess we'll just have Max go through them again. Yeah, let me give the wagers for uh, question one here. Uh, so um, looks like the Puffins wagered 15 points on question one. And um, in kind of an unprecedented move, uh, Various and Sundry have tried something never done before. They went uh, 23 all the way down to match their uh, point total. So we're going to call this the Richmond 23. 
MJ. MJ. Mm-hmm. All right, question one. A brain. Scottish actor Brian Cox was the first person to play what brainiac on camera in a 1986 film based on a 1981 novel by Thomas Harris? Yeah, so uh, that would be um, the film Manhunter, mm-hmm. and uh, he played Hannibal Lecter. Oh, we were way off. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was a, there was a movie around this time about Einstein, but so I said Einstein. Neil, you're exactly right. It's Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Question two, an athlete. Who holds the record for the most NBA games played by an Australian? And on this one, uh, of course, the uh, various and sundry went with uh, 23 again. And it looks like Puffins went with 20 on this one. So my main concern here is possibly that Kyrie Irving counts because he's an Australian national. Um, But I don't think he does. This guy actually got injured surfing in Australia uh, when he was starting for the Bulls. He'd be the man from down under. We said Luke Longley. Oh, we also went with Luke Longley. This guy was, I believe, the number one uh, draft pick in, I think, 2005. Uh, his name is Andrew Bogut. Mm, oh. Question three, a basket case. Clay Allison was an eccentric Wild West cattle rancher with a reputation for unprovoked and extreme violence. In 1877, he moved to Dodge City, Kansas. What notable lawman was the deputy sheriff in Dodge City at that time? and claimed in a later biography that he and his friend Bat Masterson confronted Allison and his men in a saloon and drove them out of town. For this one, it looks like the Puffins went with five, and 23 again for various and sundry. Wild West lawmen automatically go to Wyatt Earp. Yep, we said the same. The correct answer is Wyatt Earp. All right. Got one on the board. Question four, a princess. Claire Lademacher, a German bioethics researcher, became a princess of what small European country when she married Prince Felix in 2013? Uh, Puffins again with five and 23 again for various and sundry. Yeah, so for this one, uh, Jonathan and I, we kind of locked in all the other ones pretty quick. Uh, It's been a really enjoyable game playing with them because we we locked in right away on on what we think the answer is. But this one, we were going back and forth. Uh, My knee-jerk reaction, I just heard Grace Kelly in my head, and I was like, oh, Monaco. And then Jonathan was saying, maybe it's Luxembourg. And then we kind of were searching around Monaco, Luxembourg, and we ultimately ended up uh, going with the Netherlands uh, out of a guess. Yeah, we had thrown around Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, um, but we guessed uh, Monaco. But hearing Felix again, it, there's also Little Andorra, which we didn't mention, but we, we had locked in with Monaco. The correct answer is Luxembourg. Oh, oh we, had, we had it, Jonathan. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was heartbreaking to listen to that deliberation, by the way. <laughs> All right, and question five, a criminal... In the 2011 Futurama episode Ghost in the Machines, Bender runs into his ex-girlfriend Lynn, who promptly murders him and sends him into robot ghost limbo. What sort of device is Lynn? Uh, five again for Puffins and Various and Sundry, 23. The Richmond, 23. Um, we got we got stuck thinking about um, an older episode where his girlfriend was the Planet Express ship and wanted to merge with him to destroy his consciousness, and it was really hard to think of anything else. Um, so we just thought he's a bending unit. It'd be funny if she was a straightening unit. So we said a straightening unit. You can take it, Jonathan. I actually like that guess a lot. Uh, I just went back to the very first episode of the show where Fry first meets Bender is in a suicide booth and guessed suicide booth. That would be much more ironic if it was a homicide booth. The correct answer, Lynn, was a suicide booth. Yeah. Wow, Jonathan. I'm glad that you watched the show. 
Thank you. And also, before we give the final totals, I want to note my little Easter egg in the questions there. The categories were a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. And uh, those characters in the movie were uh, Brian, Andrew, Allison, Claire, and Bender. Nice job. That was very, very well-written game. Thanks. <laughs> and at the conclusion of the game, it looks like uh, Puffins, again, still flying pretty low to the ground. Uh, 35 points total. Yeesh. And it looks like Various and Sundry, the folk band from Boone, North Carolina, you are the cream of the crop with 138 points. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Fantastic game, Jonathan. Uh, you're a great partner. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed playing with you, too. It was a great time. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you got going on or if, if there's anything you'd like to talk about um, before we let you go. And we appreciate you, obviously, uh, being a Patreon supporter at the Intercontinental Champion level. I appreciate you guys having me on, and I appreciate that this is as close to the Intercontinental Championship as I will ever actually get. Um, you just got to wait for one of those open challenges, and you wait by the curtain, and then you tell them to play your music, <laughs> and that's how that works. I, that is exactly how that works. I'm very boring. I lead a very boring life by design, so I will plug other people's things. If you're ever in the city of Richmond on a Thursday night, please come out to Castleburg Brewery and play trivia with uh, Aaron Barclay and Orange Cat Trivia. She runs a great show. It's always a great time, and the people there are very friendly and welcome outsiders with glee. And just from a transportation uh, engineering perspective, which is what I do, uh, please don't drink and drive, and please wear your seatbelts. And if you're coming up on a work zone, you see the cones, you see the signs, please slow down, please get over, and please give those guys as much space as possible. Like Everybody that works out there, they have families they want to get home to as well. And it's really, it's really depressing how often they are injured or killed on the job. So I don't want to be a, be a come down with my shout out here, but it, it's, it's a real big deal. And so just please drive safe. Everybody wants to arrive alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jonathan, that's a well here, here. That's a well aimed plug there <laughs> yeah. for both Orange Cat and that uh, public safety announcement. So, certainly appreciate what you do as well. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, if you guys haven't uh, been in the crop, Jonathan posted a great series of questions about things that he hates in very well worded uh, question form. And he'll be back uh, for a Patreon bonus episode that we'll record with him of some of those uh, some of those fun questions uh, in his own style. So we look forward to that, Jonathan. Thank you. And, and you might think your life is boring, but I have a feeling it's going to get pretty interesting very soon. Yeah, in about uh, eight weeks. Yeah, there it's you go. Be way more exciting. <laughs> Congratulations, and we hope that uh, the baby's name is either Various, Sundry, Neil, Matt, Jeff, or Ken. <laughs> or Max. Or Max. I, I think we've just hit upon a middle name. So <laughs> Please, no. That's too much of a burden. It's a little long, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Max, why don't you uh, tell us a, a little bit about what you, you're going to be having uh, going on soon here? We know, uh, obviously, you're going to be busy with uh, with TV, with all the news that uh, never stops. But uh, what, what else Is can you tell us? Is there anything going on in the news? I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on in the news. First of all, my, my PSA, I don't know when this is going to come out. Uh, this will be timely, but go vote. That's my PSA. Everybody go vote. Beyond that, I'm going to plug my podcast. If, if you were shouting at your listening device during the swing round because you knew a lot of those one-hit wonders, then you'll probably really like my music podcast, which is called Offbeat Tracks. Um, that's exactly the kind of stuff we talk about on the show. So please check us out. We're on iTunes and um, Google Play as well. And uh, offbeattrackscast.com is our website. And beyond that, thank you guys so much. I, I, it's just I, I, you guys are the best trivia show out there. And uh, I've been listening since episode one. And I'm so happy you guys are still doing this. 
and uh, you're so cool to uh, let me come on and do this. Yeah. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much to uh, both our guests. Make sure you check out uh, Max's podcast and uh, please drive safely. For our special guests, Jonathan and Max, and my hosts, Matt, Jeff, and Neil, I'm Ken, and that was Trivial. Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Pro Sports Heckler Guy. Mr. Pro Sports Heckler Guy. They say those who can't play, coach. Apparently those who can't coach sit 30 rows back, shirtless, shouting obscenities. Oh, that's right, mother Thanks to you, our team is armed with game-winning tips like catch the ball and throw it. Shout it out loud. You stink. That sucks. What a bunch of losers. Not just catcalls, but subtle psychological ploys to prod your team to victory. Reverse psychology. So here's to you, old sultan of shouting, because while there may be no I in team, thanks to you, there's always an F and a U.